Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sanabria. Hello, leaders. This is your host, Lily Sanabria. And today we have the honor of having Dr. Tom Dolan with us. And no one is more surprised than Tom that he finds himself in the president's office at Nassau Community College in New York. Last July, Tom retired after a 38-year career in the world of public education and thought that he and his wife of 40 years were on their way to a South Pacific cruise. But the opportunity to serve as Nassau's interim president for a year presented itself and Tom, after consulting with his wife Karen, decided to take it on. Previously, Tom has served as a social studies teacher, a director of an alternative school, a central office administrator, a high school principal, and a superintendent of schools. He was privileged to work in a number of outstanding schools and districts, including Cary High School, Cold Springs Harbor High School, Franklin Square Elementary District, and finally, in the Great Neck Public Schools. In each of those locations, he has had fun, learned much, and made lifetime friends. As you'll hear in this interview, those are his three criteria for success in any venture. Tom gives credit for any success he has had to his family, his colleagues, and the programs where he trained, notably Hamilton College, Queens College, and Hofstra University. At the end of the day, he considers himself a teacher and takes the greatest delight in working with young people and infecting them with his enthusiasm for content and learning to be a learner. So welcome, Tom. We are so happy to have you on our podcast. So um, as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. And we want to do that today by asking you key questions. That'd be great. (laughs) So are you ready to pour into our listeners? I am. Okay, fantastic. I'm all set. Okay, so the first question is, what inspired you to choose educational leadership as a career path? I, I really think that the path was somewhat imposed upon me. Uh, I was what I thought a pretty good teacher over in the Hewlett Woodmere School District and the day came when one of the assistant superintendents uh, asked to speak to me and he sat and said, Tom, have you ever considered a career in academic uh, administration and educational administration? And I said, absolutely not. I rejected the notion immediately, told him it was the last thing I ever saw myself doing. I wanted to be, I remember the phrase, I want to be in the trenches, I want to be with the kids, I want to see you know, them uh, on a daily basis, and I had absolutely no interest. Within a year, uh, I found myself enrolled in a program at Queens College. It's actually a pretty good school. A a good school, but the best school administration program around. And obviously, I've taught in several, and I've researched a lot, and there is one thing about the Queens College program that just sets it apart. And I think that was an additional inspiration for me in terms of what I wanted to do. The, one of the premises of the Queens College program is that there's one person 
who you are going to meet in every work setting you ever find yourself in, and that's you. So you might as well understand yourself as well as you can. So it's a very, very strong human relations component, learning about yourself, facing up to some truths about yourself, uh, knowing how you come across, understanding that, and uh, it made not just a significant difference in my career, it changed my life. And not many people can say that about a school administration program. It changed my life, and one individual there just turned into a, 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 a pseudo-father, uh, just a, a great man. That's fantastic that you had that kind of, kind of foundation from the beginning. Very That's lucky. Great. Yep. That's great. Okay, so um, how would others describe, the people you work with, how would they describe your leadership style? Uh, collaborative. Um, probably describe me as uh, a person who likes to seek the input of others and find ways to pull those efforts together. A person who's not afraid to make the tough call. A person who ultimately lives with the sign on his desk, the buck stops here, and that when a decision is made, if it's unpopular, I will own it, even if it means uh, accepting responsibility for something that might have been somebody else's uh, responsibility originally. If it happens on my watch, it's my responsibility. Uh, responsible, I think people do identify me as responsible, uh, and I, I hope and I believe fun to work with. Uh, a, a good co-worker. You seem that way <laughs> from the beginning. <laughs> I, I, if you can't get along with people, ultimately, and I'm sure we'll elaborate on that yeah. before we're done today, that's the job. Right. That's the job. The job is not balancing the budget. The job is not uh, instructing somebody in another teaching methodology. The job is conveying that information and being being able to it's the ability to make every person that you're sitting with feel that they're the most important person in the world. So you add value to people around you. Absolutely, and they add value to me. I've never had a conversa conversation with somebody that I haven't walked away with something uh, changing my approach or my life. That's great. You Good know, or bad. You, you Good or bad. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, you inspire me. So um, which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why? The one I live with, my, my mantra that I use probably too often. People won't care how much you know until they know how much you care. John Maxwell. I don't even know who it's by. John Maxwell. don't even know who it's by. Yeah. I'll tell you who I learned it from, and it, there was a certain irony to it because it happened in the late 1990s. I was at a uh, 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 training event, I'm trying to remember, I think it was uh, NAS. NASSP, National Association of Secondary School Principals. I was at a workshop down in Washington, and they had a principal from Colorado who I found out later happened to work in the same district as where that terrible event took place that we all know, uh, the shooting, the very first school shooting that took place. Um, and to hear her say that and reflect on that later, that you know, that was her mantra also, and I can only imagine how uh, the school shooting that took place at Columbine High School impacted her. And it, it's such a true quote. I mean, it, it's such a true saying, and to live by that is, is absolutely wonderful. It, it's, it's, it, it, I'm not a, a, a spiritual or religious person, but you know, it has a, a, a backing, I think, in the New Testament about, uh, without love, I am a clanging bell. Mm -hmm. And I also think that uh, the one word that we don't use often enough when we talk about education is the word love. I think that's at the core of everything that we do 
and yet we avoid the word assiduously. We never talk about love. It's, it's seen as you know, perhaps too light a value, but that's what this is all about. Yeah, and I, and I agree wholeheartedly. And that's why we're doing this. <laughs> Thank you for just pouring into sure. everyone here. So what does it mean to you to have a good team, mm. and how do you build one? Uh, the, the, I think the, the answers to, the, to both of those are the same. It's critical that the team not reflect you. It's critical that the team reflect skills and attributes and points of view different from yours, not the same. Uh, the, the worst possible team is one where you make a decision and all you hear back from your coworkers is, hey, great idea. That's a super idea when, in fact, they might be thinking just the opposite. But they feel they have to support you. Uh, the story is told that uh, John F. Kennedy uh, sometimes would get a little bullheaded about an idea and would not be able to let go of it. And uh, ultimately, his advisors learned that what they had to say to him was, hey, boss, that's a great idea. Nixon was going to do that. And that became the code for, all right, let's get off of this one, all right? And he would laugh and, and then would at least entertain a discussion about what it was he was proposing to do. I have no idea if that story true or not, but I've used it enough that it's, it's become more true. Uh, I read it somewhere. Um, I want to work on a team where people can tell me I'm wrong. I want to work on a team where people can uh, add value to my decisions, not just endorse them. Uh, that's, that's a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So a team, an mm -hmm. ideal team is one that is united in their mission, but completely varied in their approach. And so do you look for those values or, or those skills in, in the people that are around you and you pick them f for certain projects? So or many times I've inherited a team okay. that I haven't been able to pick a team. Right. I found the best way to do it is to demonstrate to people that you truly value their opinion and their differences of opinion. That you don't expect the rubber stamp. That you expect to be challenged. That you expect a better idea to grow out of a conversation, not just an endorsement of what you walked in with. So I can think of very few occasions in my career where I have been given the liberty of assembling a team. And most of the time when I've inherited one, it's been helping people naturally express different points of view and, and feel comfortable about it. And then in doing that, you get to really know them. Then you really know them. Yeah. And I've made some great friends along the way. So tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life. Well, it's a sad one. And, and I'll do my best to describe it without tears, uh, although that's not easy. Mm -hmm. uh, but my whole life is divided into before and after. Uh, my life is divided into before my daughter's accident and after. Uh, my daughter Kelly, who's uh, 35 now, 36 I think, unfortunately had a car accident 16 or 17 years ago and has been in a coma ever since. Uh, Kelly lived at home with us for the first seven or eight years. We built a couple of hospital rooms with a tremendous amount of support from uh, the Freeport community, the Franklin Square community, just wonderful communities who sensed a need and uh, helped us build two hospital rooms, lots of uh, volunteer work, obviously. And then ultimately we determined that we just couldn't care for Kelly at home anymore, and Kelly went to live at a place called UCP, Ro uh, UCP Bayville uh, up on the Gold Coast of Long Island where she's taken very good care of and where she is loved. So the, the, li the life lesson, there's obviously several obvious life lessons there, but I think in terms of my career, the one that 
has impacted me the most is you don't know what's going on in other people's lives. Uh, somebody told me a long time ago that if problems were like wash and you put them out at the end of the day and you hung them up, most times you'd bring your own in at the end of the day. And that's true for me with that one exception. You know, Kelly, Kelly's accident and Kelly's trauma is always the exception to almost every rule uh, that my wife and I have established. Um, but it's taught me that people have stories behind their lives that you might not know about. It's taught me to absolutely value parenthood in a different way, um, especially parents of special education students. Um, I am convinced that any parent I am meeting with at any moment is convinced that their child is going to be the next valedictorian at Harvard, no matter what. That's what they believe. I still believe that about Kelly. Mm -hmm. I will never let go of that. And I don't expect parents to let go of that either. And I think if you treat people like that and remember that, you can have a much more valuable conversation about their most precious belonging, their children. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, that's going to stay with me for a <laughs> while. <laughs> um, so tell us about one of your greatest successes, and that, must, that may be you know, combined, and how it shaped you and the lives of those around you. I've just been so lucky in the places that I've been allowed to work, uh, the communities I've worked with. I've mentioned a couple already. Uh, my career has just been one good opportunity after another. Um, early in my teaching career, I was let go every year. Every year I was told that I was being cut and didn't know what they had for me. Was this in the 1980s? In the 1980s. I remember uh, absolutely. that. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I remember one year the superintendent came to me and said, listen, we have a job for you, but it's teaching language arts. And I said, okay, tell me what it is. I'll do it. And he said, it's English. I said, I got it. I speak English. I got it. I can do that. <laughs> and every year I was saved in the Hewlett Woodmere School District. Every year something happened. Often completely unexpected occurrence took place. Somebody got a job. Somebody retired unexpectedly. Every year I landed on my feet, uh, went off and uh, worked in the Sawanica Central High School District where the superintendent asked me to become principal for one year at a school. And uh, I made him promise that I could come back after the year because I really didn't want to be a principal. Uh, I went and I spent 10 years at Cary High School, just wow. a wonderful place in the Franklin Square community. Um, that was just a great opportunity. Headed off uh, shortly thereafter to the Cold Spring Harbor School District where I was a uh, principal also. Uh, both of them, by the way, Cary and Cold Spring Harbor, the Seahawks, which uh, certainly explains my affiliation for the, the Seattle Seahawks now. Uh, then recruited back to come to Franklin Square and be superintendent of an elementary school district. Note for the record, I hadn't been in an elementary classroom since elementary school when I went in the 1960s, but they thought I could do it, and I guess I did, and then spent the last uh, seven years of my career in, in Great Neck, and often wow. said to people, okay, I've arrived. So to, to be able to, to be given those opportunities, that's the success story, just uh, to be able to climb that career ladder and consistently find good people everywhere that I went, and great kids. Every one of the places that I listed, just great kids, students I still stay in touch with even after 20 and 25 years. It speaks to that it, it doesn't matter where you are, even if the culture is very difficult, there are always great people there. Absolutely. You just have to look for yep. them, right? Yes. And open your heart and just see. But I think that's also, and, and I may be anticipating a question you, you, you were going to ask, but sometimes there are places with not good culture. And to be honest, in that little job description, little resume that I just gave you, I did leave a place out. Mm -hmm. a place that I was not as happy 
And I think sometimes it can happen that you can be in an environment where it's just not a good mix. You know, it's not a good match. Um, and I think every good leader needs to have in the back of their mind as that situation starts to develop what I call an escape plan. Uh, if you're not happy where you work, there's a good chance they're not going to be happy with you either. Right. And you, you need to be thinking about that. You need to think about, if I can't change this place, then I need to change my place. And uh, that's not a bad thing. That's not defeat. And that's, uh, that doesn't say anything bad about you or the place. But if it's not a good mix, not a good match, you, sometimes you need to use your to feet. To move on. <laughs> yep. But you can also learn about how not to be. Oh, there's right? several leaders I've worked with who taught me a lot, uh, many, many times. And I will not mention any of their names, but people who know me certainly know who they are. People who've taught me lessons where I've used them as a litmus test. What would so-and-so have done? And if I do the opposite, I am consistently successful. It's like that <laughs> John F. K. and Nixon thing. Very much so. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners, and I've heard this all the time, especially nowadays. What does that mean to you, if it means anything to yeah. you, and what are you learning now? Well, for me, it's all about the, the world of books. Um, early on, I had an affinity for, for reading and for books, and I love to read. A day does not go by that I don't read something, and I vary it between fiction and nonfiction. Uh, still love history. Uh, you know, as a former social studies teacher, love history. And somebody will see me reading a uh, right now. Uh, one of the books I'm reading is biography of Calvin Coolidge, which some people roll their eyes when they think they would think of that as torture. Reading a biography of Calvin Coolidge, but I think there's so many lessons to be learned from biography. So lifelong learning for me is never giving up on the things that I'm passionate about, like history, uh, like baseball. Uh, I have a spiritual attraction to baseball. Uh, love learning about it. Love being a student of the game, and uh, uh, especially some discrete aspects of the game. So it's always being open to adding to that knowledge base. And for me, it's never thinking that you're the expert on anything. Only a really good student. Now, are you a Mets or a Yankees fan? I am a Yankee fan. Okay, that was good, because I can't tell from the look on your face whether that's uh, we're in agreement on that. Well, uh, you know, my family's from the Bronx, and my husband's from Queens. Oh, <laughs> tough marriage. <So> yeah. <laughs> I, know, I, I know some good marriage counselors you might be able to talk to. Uh, but my real team, the team I really love, and it's my love of the obscure, is a Major League Baseball team that existed for one year in 1969, the Seattle Pilots. Really? Nobody knows them, but they were a Major League Baseball team for one year. And uh, I love things obscure, and that certainly qualifies. That certainly <laughs> does. Okay, so you mentioned you were reading a book now, but what, um, what would you, what have you read that mm -hmm. our listeners should read, yeah. and why? Um, great book, uh, a very, very long book that has a very short message called uh, "Trust" by Jack Gibb. Um, great book about trust and about how trust is developed. Um, Illusions by Richard Bach. Illusions is a book by the gentleman who wrote Jonathan Livingston Seagull. Uh, and much like Jonathan Livingston Seagull, Illusions comes across as a very simple book. It's a, probably a 60 or 80 page book. Its subtitle is Confessions of a Reluctant Messiah. And it's really about teaching, but it espouses the philosophy of idealism like no other book I've ever read, that there is a place for an ideal vision of, of how the world should work. Uh, great book. Gave it to one of my sons uh, 
when he graduated. Uh, he was becoming a teacher, and I thought it would be a good book for him. Um, up, uh, an old book, Up the Organization. Up the Organization is a, a book that was written by Robert Townsend in the 1960s. Robert Townsend was the CEO of Avis, mm. uh, a company that had its world headquarters probably a half a mile from here, up on Old Country Road. Um, used to remember seeing the sign, the big Avis sign. The whole building is gone now. But Up the Organization was an alphabetical listing of rules that, or, that leaders should follow. And while it was a corporate model, it worked on so many levels, even for school administration. Um, two rules I'll never forget. If you really want to know about your organization, call from a payphone and don't identify yourself. <laughs> have you done that? I have. I probably don't do it from a payphone. Can't find a payphone anymore. But I often call my organization from the outside. And I'm intrigued by the way people answer the phone. Are you pleased? Not always. Okay. And there's a way to adjust that um, without being heavy-handed at all about it. And usually it's just identifying on the next phone call who you are um, and saying, gee, you never know when I'm going to call, do you? Mm -hmm. And it does change things. Uh, and the other one was that if there, th there should be no assigned parking. No assigned parking. So you don't have an assigned parking? I do, do here. Because yeah, this is, it's yeah, hard I do here. Place to park. And I'm glad you said that. But <laughs> most places I've worked, I have parked in the spot farthest away from the building. Tell uh, me why. Oh, it, 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 there's tremendous symbolic value to being the most inconvenienced person as opposed, as opposed to being the most convenienced. Who should get the, class, the, the spot closest to the building? The person who gets there first. That's who should get it. And sometimes I've had it. I love being the first person in and the last person out. I love that. But when I'm not, I shouldn't have a spot that it's any more important than anybody else's. That's what, it, what kind of a statement does that make? Now, yes, here I apologize <laughs> because of the nature of this tower right, and right. the parking that's so far away. I can only imagine how far you walked. Yeah, it's here I have one. Okay. <laughs> so uh, tell me, tell us what you do on a daily basis to set your mind for the responsibilities that you have. You know, it's so funny. You, 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 I, I had the opportunity to look at some of these questions ahead of time, and I pondered that question, and I don't know what I do. I don't know what I do other than do. You get um, up early, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah sometimes, mind. sometimes not, but, uh, you know, once I'm here, uh, even on my way here, I'm in a, I'm in, I'm in my game mode. I'm on a good day. I'm not thinking about anything else other than the challenges that confront me here at, at work. Um, I don't have to do anything to set my mind. It's, it's natural. I, th I have more difficulty unsetting my mind on Saturday morning. Mm. I have more difficulty not focusing on work and and work mm. issues. Uh, and compartmentalizing, which is what I try to do. Uh, you know, I try to take my problems on Friday afternoon, put them in a little box, fully confident they're still going to be there on Monday. But that does not mean that for my entire life, every Sunday night has been sleepless. Every Sunday night has been sleepless as I gear up to get ready to get back to work. You know, it's funny because you just um, jogged my, my memory on the uh, intro that you sent mm -hmm. that you know we, we're going to talk about. But... You were on your way to a vacation. <laughs> I would uh, on July thirty first, two thousand and sixteen, fifteen. I retired. I retired, and I was on my way. My wife and I had booked a vacation to the South Pacific. And I have a really good marriage, 
And I know I have a really good marriage because my marriage has survived the following sentence. Honey, we're not going to Hawaii. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Not many marriages could survive that. Mm. But my wife has just been 100%, 1,000% supportive. And we did talk about it and what an opportunity it was to serve for one year as the interim president of Nass Community College. Um, She's just been... She's held our life together in so many ways. But, yeah, I was out the door. And much like uh, the hero in a, a, a movie, I can't think of the movie right now, Scarface. You know, just <laughs> as you're out, just as you think they you're pull out, you back they in. pull you back in. And I'm glad I was pulled back in. This has been a completely different learning experience. Um, but, yeah, I was out. You love learning, don't you? I do love learning. Yeah, I, can I love tell. learning. <laughs> I, could, I could sit with a road map of a place I've never been and probably pour over it for two hours and not even know that time has passed. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's fantastic. love learning. Yeah. So many educational leaders, they put in long hours, as mm-hmm. you know. So what advice would you give to them about maintaining balance in their lives? I think a couple of things. One, the first one I mentioned is compartmentalizing, you know, the ability to, to, to know that a problem's still going to be there and that it sometimes not only doesn't it help to – uh, perseverate on it. Sometimes it actually makes it bigger than it deserves to be. So the ability to put things away, I call it the Swiss cheese method, um, meaning that if you've got a big problem, nibble away a little bit at it, and it's a little bit smaller. Put it away, come back a little later, nibble some more, there'll be another hole in it. Put it away, come back a little later, and pretty soon you're going to see this big problem that's got all kinds of holes in it, and it's so much more consumable at that point. Um, you, you make it smaller slowly. Uh, the second one is the, the value and the importance of family and the outside life. You need to remember, and I say this to people all the time, we do this, whatever this is, our job, we do this so that we can have a life, not the other way around. That is, we don't have a life so we can do this. No, no, no. We do this, we work really hard so that we can have a nice vacation, so that we can ha- go out to dinner once in a while, so that we can do those things that, that are meaningful in life. Um, it, otherwise, you're two-dimensional. You know, it's, the, it's that outside aspect, the things you do when you're in, in the time when you're not working. And when you're doing them, again, I guess I'm back to compartmentalizing, to be able to fully do them and engage in them. Um, family's just so important uh, to be able to do that. Uh, and uh, a, a lesson that I've learned is that the, the, the problems that need to be taken care of at work can usually be taken care of at home more easily. Here's what I mean by that. If you've got a a project that you need to get done, I find it easier to take it home and work on it than wearing comfortable clothes, sitting at my chair, uh, even sitting watching TV. But that frees me up during the day to do things that I could not do at night, like interact with other people. Mm -hmm. Um, My management style, I've described it and I've heard it described as MBWA, management by wandering around. When I first got to NASA Community College, I spent very little time in this office. I went out and I wandered. And wandering means you don't know where you're going. And that was easy because I was brand new here and didn't know the campus too well. But um, I've long practiced MBWA, so much so that uh, when I was at Cary High School, we were being evaluated for a, uh, an award. And the evaluator was there from Washington, and she and I were walking around the, the building. And one of my students who I still remember, Enrique Fonseca, walked up and said to the evaluator, 
you know what he's doing, don't you? <laughs> she said, no, what's that? He said, MBWA. He tells us about it all the time. <laughs> and he walked away. And she said, MBWA, and it was a great conversation. And she had heard of it before, but even kids knew that that was the way I did my job. So I'm curious. So as you wandered around, you introduced yourself to people or you met people? Well, here at Nassau, yes. It was a lot of wandering and walking into offices. And again, we're back to Robert Townsend's lesson. I walked in a lot of offices where I wasn't treated well. Um, and we've spoken about that here at the college. Um, but you got to know firsthand what right. the, the strengths are, the weaknesses, I absolutely or the did, challenges yes. that and, you And met some great people doing it. Um, had a student give me a tour of the place. That was great because he showed me things that I might not have otherwise seen. It's like that, that show, Undercover Boss. It was very, <laughs> you know, other people made the analogy. <laughs> when nobody knew who I was, and I'd walk into an office, and ten minutes later I was still waiting to be seen. Say when, when I did introduce myself, they'd say, well, why didn't you tell us who you were? And I was, I think, very clear in my response when I'd say, it doesn't matter who I am. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That's really deep. I and appreciate that. Some yeah. people hear it. Some people don't. Tom Dolan's not very important. The president of the college is. But, you know, you need to treat everybody like, not like they're the president of the college, but mm -hmm. like they're the man on the street. They're important, yeah. Everybody's yeah, important. Yeah. That's yep. right. Now, how do you feel about technology and what do yeah, you Yeah, I'm <laughs> out of my league. I'm, uh, you know, what, what, what they call them, digital immigrants, you know, right? I'm, I'm like a digital uh, indentured servant, I guess, because I'm not, I'm, I'm, I got my iPhone. Uh, certainly, I type my own dissertation with this finger right here. So, you know, I'm, I'm not scared of computers, but I'm just, I just haven't broken through yet. You know, I don't do a lot of the programs that I know would make my life easier. Well, I'm going to make a suggestion. Yeah. There's a program called Asana, A-S-A-N-A. Okay. -A -A, that helps you just kind of prioritize and tasks. Okay. A-S-A-N-A. Yes. Okay. Asana. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to that. use it. It's very Is good. Is it an app? It's an app. All right. Okay. Yeah. I'll take a look at it. Okay. <laughs> I will take a look at it. Yeah, I haven't broken through on the, the technology side yet. Um, I'm still the guy who calls one of my sons to fix the, you know, the... I almost said VCR, the, the <laughs> DVD player. VCR. I still have some of those. So, <laughs> so do we. we're we're actually up to our last question. I'm 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 just intrigued. This is great. Um, if you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? I, there's a I, there's a great country western song called "Letter to Myself," and I think it's kind of the premise for this question. You know, if you got to write a letter to yourself. Um, and in the in the le in the song, you know, he gives very discreet lessons like, "Hey, don't forget you run out of gas. You're gonna run out of gas on that night." Nah, it worked out okay. Don't worry about it. Uh, you know, he offers very discreet lessons, and I wish I could do that. Um, you know, times specific events in my my career path where maybe I spoke too harshly to somebody, or the decision I made didn't work out. It was a computer decision in Franklin Square. I wish I could take back, but. I consider myself very lucky that it would be those kind of discrete decisions as opposed to, you know, approach. Mm -hmm. Because I wouldn't change my approach at all, even though it's men being hurt on some occasions, emotionally hurt, um, even though it's meant some sleepless nights, especially Sunday nights, worrying about other people. Um, I wouldn't, I, I honestly, 
Not that I've always been right, but I wouldn't have changed. I would not change my approach because I. I'm We're just steeped in love. It steeped seems. in love, yeah. and I'm very proud of the fact that you know the places that I listed. You know, I started my career in Hewlett Woodmere, and there's two guys that I work with in Hewlett Woodmere in the 1980s and 90s who we go away every year on a baseball trip. To this day, I've got friends from where I worked 25 years ago, and I've got friends from Cold Spring Harbor, and I can pick up the phone right now and call somebody. Everywhere that I've worked, that I've maintained contact with, and it's Ozymandias, I guess. I am a part of all that I have met. You know, every one of those people contributed to who I am, and I, I constantly replenish the, the gift that they've given me by maintaining that friendship. Um, mm -hmm. But I wouldn't change approach at all. Wow, it's, uh, it's very clear how much you value those around you, mm -hmm. and that's, that's a mark of a leader. Um, we've come to the end. Is there anything that I've not addressed that you want to tell our listeners? Well, just specific to educational administration and education in general, you know, everybody talks about how difficult it is to be in education right now and how crazy it is. Mm -hmm. um, but I, it's it's a career path that I still endorse. Um, I was very lucky this past weekend. I was up at my alma mater, uh, Hamilton College, speaking to students. And they don't have a teacher education program there, and I bemoan the fact that they don't have a teacher education program because those kind of really smart, uh, well-trained students are people who should think about teaching and then eventually running our schools. Um, it's a great path. It's just a wonderful, wonderful. I've never felt with very few, I can't say never, on very few occasions have I ever felt like I'm going to work. I've always felt mm -hmm. like I was going to school. And That's fantastic. going to school is about learning, not about working. Tom, I really want to thank you for just being so um, giving, for adding value to me and to our listeners. Well, I thank you, and I'll leave you with one last quote. Um, it's a, uh, Harry Chapin, who is my hero, uh, absolute hero of mine. Harry Chapin has a line in a song that sometimes you don't know what you're feeling till all the words come out. Uh, I think that's true, but for me at least, it's also sometimes I don't know what I'm thinking until all the words come out. So an opportunity to talk about my leadership only hones those skills. So I thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Hello, leaders. Don't forget to go to www.masterleadership.org to get show notes for this episode and to find out how to get a free coaching session. Until next time. Bye.